Welcome to the Midlife Male Podcast, a podcast designed to help men maximize middle age and live healthier, wealthier, stronger, and happier. I am Greg Scheinman, and I'm inviting you to join the thousands of men who listen each week, receive my Midlife Male newsletter, and are committed to making this next phase of life our best phase. If you have not yet downloaded my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife, where I break down the three principles to maximizing middle age and taking back some of that shit you've given up, head on over to midlifemail.com forward slash No BS Guide. Guys are loving these three principles to maximizing middle age, and you can download your copy today at midlifemail.com forward slash No BS Guide. All right, here we go, guys. Greg Scheinman with you. Another week and another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. I am extremely excited to have Benton James joining me this week. Benton is the co-chief executive officer at Icons and Giants, along with his partner, Billy Mann, who joined me on the podcast last year. Prior to his work at Icons and Giants, he was the head of urban genre at Red Bull Music Publishing and the head of urban music at Red Bull Songs. He is the former president at ManCon, again, along with current partner, Billy Mann, the VP of East Coast Creative at Green and Bloom Publishing, and he is a recognized icon and giant in his own right in the music industry, working across music and artists and talent and masters and strategy and copyrights, but more importantly, He is a man of faith, a man of conviction, a man of passion, and a man of purpose. And I truly enjoyed this conversation and getting the opportunity to sit down and chat with Benton. When Billy Mann reaches out and says, hey, you should have my partner on the pod, I immediately said yes, could not be happier that I did. It was a pleasure and a privilege to talk to Benton. And let's share that with you right now, this week on the Midlife Mail podcast. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Greg. It's uh, I'm actually, it was really cool to get the call from you. So I'm excited to be on. Well, I appreciate it very much. What was really cool to me uh, is that your partner, co-founder in Icons and Giants, and we'll get into that, um, Billy Mann had been on the podcast very early on. Did me a huge, huge favor, had no reason right, to say yes or come on or be so generous with his time. One of the earliest guests on the podcast, quintessential midlife men, came on. And I love it's it's still to this day one of my favorite episodes. Um as a partner of, of Billy's and your music industry executive, entrepreneur, as I said, co-founder, icons and giants, his partner. I wanted to get your perspective right off the gate on one thing. Billy talked about living the hit life, you know, versus the hit song. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. So when Billy and I met, we did not really know each other from other than whatever you could Google. And I think, you know, there's something to be said about people who grow up in similar circumstances. We were both from Philly, big Eagles fans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, um, the, the thing that I've appreciated the most about my professional career working with Billy is the ability to kind of prioritize things that feel like real, uh, real life touch points instead of the kind of things that um, are kind of out, outward appearance surface issues. And so, you know, I'm allowed to be, um, you know, violently faithful to my wife. I'm allowed to, you know, kind of be a person of character and say no to things that I just don't feel comfortable with. And those things were not just things that he was okay with, but things that he was prioritizing as well. And so I think, you know, the kind of idea of having it all in a society that is always uh, trying to, I think, say, uh, um, push having it all, but also trying to figure out what all is, you know, for, Certain folks, I think that they're just trying to find the um, representation of kind of the way it looks publicly. But I think um, the hit life really just represents so much more than that. And it's 
sim- it's uh, simple in its execution too, just because it really has so much more to do with some of the people around you and some of the things um, that I, I, I mean, I call myself wealthy only because of the relationship I have with the people close to me and my wife and my brother. I'm, I'm a son to my mom. And I think those people would attest to those relationships being rich, full relationships. And so, yeah, I, I know that's a, probably a, a bit longer of an answer, but yes, the hit life for us is um, priority and um, it's real fulfilling to work next to someone who has that as a priority as well. I think it's, I think it's so fantastic. And, and what you touched on with that metric of success, you know, or, or wealth, you know, that is typically status or job or salary, but this holistic approach, you know, to what wealthy really is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for um, sure. I talk a lot about, you know, my six F's, you know, family and, and fitness and finance and food and even fashion and fun, you know, what kind of make up kind of my own personal pie chart, you know, of what's, of what's important. Talk, yeah. You started to touch on family, but like talk, talk a little bit about, you know, what your, what the hit life represents for you personally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so I have a very rich, uh, family legacy. Like I, I had a, very, very, very good relationship with my father who um, ended up passing uh, probably earlier than most around when I was 17. But there was a lot of really positive things that I got from that relationship. It gave me a lot of wisdom that set me up for you know, a really good run as an adult. Um, my mom was like very, very intentional in my life. And um, you know, even her family and my father's family passed. It's just like a very full, full, rich legacy that kind of led up to me. And so that's been, um, that's been really impactful for me. And, you know, that kind of sets you up in a place where um, you don't feel like, I didn't feel so out of, out of balance. Like I had a very strong idea of what my identity is and like who I am as a person and who I want to grow to be and how, how secure I am and, and all of those facets. And so, you know, it's like, I, I hear your F's and I mirror some of those F's. It was funny, even as I kind of got a chance to go through and, and check you out, it's like your, your physical fitness was, was almost intimidating, like the ability you have to like focus and like achieve all of those things physically was just super impressive to me. And I, I, part of me is like still aspirationally chasing some of those things that you've accomplished there. But it's like, you know, for me, I think, um, purpose is such a core, a core value for me. Mm -hmm. And, and that comes along with my identity. And I think, you know, my father was just a big, um, kind of core character guy. A lot of that centered around um, uh, the faith aspect of our life when I was younger. Um, and I think some of those things rhythmically, I still, that still sit really dearly and close to my heart. Um, but I think also, you know, it's been interesting. It's like, I'm such a new human to this idea of midlife. Um, and it's really kind of put me in a place where I'm very exploratory. You know, there's so much um, that I felt like I didn't know that I started to really get inquisitive about and explore because once you're kind of, once people start giving you the big titles, executive and entrepreneur and, and, and kind of like looking at some of the accolades and, and kind of identi- identifying you as like a kind of high performance human in some aspect, like I, I really kind of feel like if there's a place that I execute super well in my life it is really centered around my character. Like, you know, because it's a faith-based idea for me, it's like the fruits of the spirit. And I know some folks who like identify Christian and things like that will kind of understand that. And maybe some won't, but I think for me, the idea that there's peace in my house, that my wife knows that she's loved um, unconditionally, that my mother knows that I do my best to represent her and the family name to the best of my ability. Like my brother knows that our loyalty goes without question. Like these kind of things like matter, I think. And I think in a place where authenticity, you know, there's so much to kind of consume, whether it's, you know, podcasts or social media or whatever, the authenticity that people kind of present like right off the bat, like when they touch base, like what me, me getting an opportunity to 
sit and have a conversation with you. Like that authenticity to me goes a lot longer than where a lot longer of a way than when people are trying to interact and, and maybe be a, a character or an actor in a, in a sense of what they believe are successful or kind of have those tent poles, you know, outward facing, but like kind of struggle at core. And so like, um, you know, that's a long answer, but I think for me, when I think about your F's, my, you know, I have kind of like one F and it's a C and it's that character word. And that's really kind of like where I want to pull and draw from because it's just done me so well um, in business and in life that I kind of like keep that at core and then everything else starts from there, if that makes sense. It it does. And it's, it's so great. And it, it's all connected. You know, you can apply character you know, obviously everywhere. You know, it is, it's, it's the underlying principle to which that you live and that you operate and you function, you know, and I try to tell me like you apply these principles everywhere in your life. You know, how you do one thing is, is how you do everything. Um, you mentioned authenticity, like, and I, I want to get your take on this too. Like chasing authenticity where authenticity does not exist is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. And you touched on even early, you know, in the, you get salaries and you get titles and that measurement of success and trying to do things that now you're able to do your way or the right way, character wise. You know, were there times or talk to me about other times in your career kind of coming up, you know, and you've got such an incredible background and we'll dive into that where, hey, you just kind of got to do what you need to do, you know, to kind of move the ball forward. And it doesn't always feel authentic and it doesn't always feel, you know, genuine and how you navigate through that to get to the opportunities. Hey, now we can really be ourselves. We can really invest in the people and the artists and the character, you know, that we want to. But, you know, a lot of us, like we see the success, you know, we do, we, we hear the hit song, you know, but yeah. we miss the journey, like of what it took to get there. And to get an opportunity to hear that, you know, from guys like you is, is so special. It's interesting because I think for me, like there are, there are things that you say, like, uh, you know, the, the idea of wealth or the idea of, you know, you've accomplished something, there's a monetary return to it or, or, you know, a relationship or you get married or all those things. I think those things um, are cool, but I, I think understanding who you are at core is really important because, you know, one of the challenges that I had is that I'm such a um, people person, kind of people pleaser. And um, I felt like, you know, I spent my, my, most of my twenties trying to dial in where that met what I was actually trying to accomplish, you know, uh, uh, what I was actually kind of trying to accomplish and what I was actually good at. You know, I think even as Billy and I navigate um, the label and music and things in the industry, you know, at core, I really value people over everything, my relationship with people. It's like, you know, I, I know what you and I are talking on this podcast and I'm I'm excited to be there, but it's like, I have so many more questions about like who you are and, and like how you uh, manage all those Fs and still have this full life and where you feel challenged and all those other things. And I find that a lot of times, um, because I kind of prioritize the human over the necessary, the business or what you could give me or, oh man, this being on this podcast is another, you know, feather in the cap or whatever those things are that like, it gives us an opportunity to like know and value each other in a way where we find the other things to do organically. Mm-hmm. And that's really just, that's just kind of how I operate. You know, when I, I got a chance to um, build a relationship with uh, Jonathan Priester, who some people know, Super Mario. He's a really, really, really big hip hop producer. Um, and, you know, we met when he was a janitor at a mental institution and he was just trying to get his footing. And I think the reality was he found me to be someone that, you know, genuinely cared about him and wanted to see him succeed. And we've gone on the journey together. That's really pulled him into all the places that he wanted to be. But those are like, that's his work though. That's, you know, his blood, sweat and tears. And he and I just like formed a relationship first and then decided, Hey, look, where are the really cool places that we can do business? And so, you know, authenticity for me has kind of, I'll often feel a, a, a bit for folks who have trouble kind of 
thinking through their identity and who they are and struggling with that just because I never had that issue. Like I was always so very sure of like who I was and what I was doing, what I felt like gave me purpose and energy and what didn't that I have always kind of felt like I'm on the road. And as soon as something didn't line up with some of those core things, I kind of shifted gear or pivoted a bit, but you know, that's, that, that, that's really been it for me. I, I think authenticity for me has been a bit easier because I have that really cool core identity. But again, I point to my legacy. A lot of that has to do with my parents and, and I think how much they put into me specifically about like who I was and where I came from and the potential I had. And so, you know, I, I don't know that I could take credit for that. Well, what's, what's also amazing is, as you mentioned, you know, your father passing at such a young age there. Um, unfortunately, we share that, you know, my father, I was 17 when my father passed away oh, wow. as well. Um, January 16th, 92, you know, it's the, it's the tat on the arm that nobody at home can, can see yeah. you know, right now. Um, and what really lands with me now is again, as you talk about your identity and your security and everything that they put in so much that was accomplished in such a short period of time with so much life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. dad was, was 47 and I know about being 49 right now. You yeah. talk about entering into your, you know, into midlife, you know, at 40, at 42 yeah. and who really knows where it technically is anymore? As of said, course, I know yeah. some really old thirty-year-olds, and I know some really young, you know, sixty-year-olds. You know, I think it's, it's just a number when you get into these other ways of of living. Um, but from an identity standpoint, like it lands hard with me, and I've got more questions there because where you're secure in your identity, know who you are, have been able to maintain that compass and that direction and that security and compass. I found myself very rudderless and very lost. Oh, wow. Without that type of mentor, you know, without the father, not only father figure, but father, mentor, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. younger brothers, trying maybe kind of accelerate my life before I was ready for it, you know, and going, yeah. and going off in into college. What was the rest of like, how was it with your mother? And you, and you mentioned a brother and everything, you know, what role did you end up playing that they'd also even helped and solidified this identity? Well, I think, how do I answer that? So, you know, first, um, I'm, it's interesting to hear that we do have that in common. My, my date was December 11th and 96. That was when my father passed. Um, and it does kind of seem interesting when you start there, right? Because you're kind of, you're cut loose what feels like societally early, right? Like you're all right. So now you've got to go figure it out from there. And it's a very interesting place to be. And um, I think my mom played such a big role up until then. And um, I pivoted and went to college after that. I did not enjoy the first part of my college experience. I transferred schools and my mom got remarried. So there was a bit of a shift there as well with my mom who was focusing on a new relationship. Um, I moved I was in Philadelphia. I moved to North Carolina. Um, and um, quite honestly, my brother moved down with me. And so when I started this kind of music industry journey, he was with me. He was my partner. We started a company called Boyd Allen Music Group that was named after my father. And we played in bands and managed bands and wrote music, you know, and that was kind of our thing. And so my brother played a very significant piece in that identity. I think you know, besides my wife, he's the closest friend that I have. Uh, and he and I have a very, you know, the strength of our relationship is so easy um, uh, that it's it's one of the most fulfilling relationships in my life, I think. I think, um, you know, outside of that from, it, I think the, the the place that I find and even kind of like where this podcast sits from a uh, subject matter, like the idea of midlife. And I, and I, and it's almost a question I want to ask you if it's even, if it's even relevant, but it's like, I found that where my dad sat in midlife, there were so many things that he didn't know that I now know. And it was like some mm-hmm. things that you seek out. And a lot of that think that does have to do with health, right? Like none of us are perfect. We all have weaknesses. And I don't remember my dad working out once. I don't remember him doing any push-ups or sit-ups or, you know, prioritizing healthy eating and thinking through what dieting and some of those things look like. Um, and I think, you know, that might've been a piece of like the, the price that ultimately kind of ended his life. And so I find mm-hmm. myself asking myself a lot of those questions, I think. And and I have this, 
you know, I have a theory about human beings that they balance themselves by imbalancing themselves, right? Like the the guy who, you know, just uh, drank himself into oblivion becomes the the super guy who's super sober and preaches sobriety, the mm-hmm. person, you know, and, and, and vice versa. The people who ended up being sober sometimes can have these epiphanies and end up being on the other side of the coin and, and human beings kind of have that pendulum swing to them. And so I think because I lost my father early because it was, you know, a, a gut health issue. Like now I'm always thinking about what I put in my body and how I approach, you know, um, my physical health. And it's my back. My dad had back problems. So I'm always like focusing on exercises that, you know, deal with core and things of this nature. And so like, I, I kind of feel like, I feel like because my parents did a great job focusing on core character, but because there were other places where I had so much to learn and they, you know, they didn't have necessarily like financial, like the intuition, they didn't have those people kind of sewing into them, walking them through what it looks like to, you know, have a portfolio and think through like all these other things that, that to me now is, you know, because information is so available, you can kind of jump into. And, and that, to be honest, has been kind of the joy for me of the last, of the beginning of my quote unquote midlife uh, journey, right? Like to mm-hmm. understand things about, you know, health and finance and, 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 meditation, which someone would have made fun of me for as a kid. And, and, um, you know, just things like that, that like are really exciting to learn and think through and add to your daily routine. And then have this, these, all these great, uh, consequences come from that, that, that kind of like just adding just these little core value pieces to your life every day. So, um, I know that's a long answer. And, and yes, my brother had a lot to do with shaping my identity post my father's passing. But, um, you know, I, I just part of me knows the kind of midlife journey that most people are on because you're kind of like now in touch with this piece that you are going to die. You're not like young and kind of like whatever anymore. But there's so much, I think, richness in it, too, um, as you kind of get a chance to explore what it's like to now have all these other pieces that you can dedicate and you have some experience and a lot of wisdom in ways that you can use moving forward as well. So it's, it's pretty cool. I I think that's, that's so spot on in that you take all of the experiences that we have in life and they shape us and they help make us who we are, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and we get to this place, middle or, or otherwise, you know, where, you know, I look at the middle as, as the sweet spot. I talk about it all the time. The middle the middle is the sweet spot. You talk about the imbalances and the pendulum swings, you know, can you get to the middle, you know, yeah. um, and be able to operate there and look at the next phase, you know, not as the beginning of the end, but as the beginning of the next and best phase you know, of life where you can apply these experiences that you've learned, use them for good. You know, when yeah. I look back, even at my dad I, and, you know, the way I viewed it back then is I knew he was an athlete, you know, growing up as a teenager and in college, but as an adult, I knew him as a smoker, you know, and yeah. the connotation of do adults. Okay. Like the, their best days are behind them. They get older and they stop playing sports and doing things. And then they smoke and then they drink. And then, you know, 47 seemed old. Now I realize yeah. it's not at all, you know, overall. Yeah. And yeah. one of the reasons even I do this is to gain different perspectives and glean knowledge and experience from other guys. Again, as a slow learner and late bloomer, how much can I take in that I can apply to the years ahead? Yeah. Yeah. What's around the bend that these guys are seeing that they've experienced, that they've done, that they're willing to share, you know, yeah, to help me look farther, you know, down the road and apply that today. Because I do think we have the opportunity to live better and longer and healthier and wealthier in, in all aspects of life and have more fun uh, than we ever had before. And and to your point, probably got, got some more financial responsibility, maybe a few more bucks, you know, in the yeah. bank, Yeah, a little bit clearer, clearer view, you know, on again, who we are, how we operate, what we're trying to do, you know, right now, uh, relationships, We've weathered the trials and tribulations of of them, whether you're still married, you know, in there. Yeah, it's yeah. getting better, whether or not, maybe not, you know, and you look to the future and we only get one shot at this thing. So I think, you know, all this stuff you're talking about, you put it in that same bucket. Um 
And and it's just an interesting thing, as you said. There's a lot of there's a lot of meat on that bone to go in and say, okay, how do I want to do this? You know? Yeah, what, what I mean, really I think matters here. It's funny because to me, there is. I remember clearly being in high school, and well, there's two there's two things. One, I was in middle school, and I actually had a teacher tell the class that you shouldn't chase your dreams because those probably won't come true. Instead, kind of make attainable goals. And it was interesting for me because I was sitting next to my best friend at the time. I was in the fifth grade. I looked at him. We both looked at each other like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like who tells a group of impressionable, I don't know, 13-year-olds, however old you are in the fifth grade, that you don't chase your dreams. That's insane. And I think um, there's a ring of truth to it, right? I think for a lot of people, when they say they're chasing their dreams, it feel, you know, it's like there are very popular answers about a million dollars and a private jet and, and a house that really don't serve like core purpose, right? So like if you were to give those things to those people, they would be really bored in two to four weeks, right? And you know, just and now I have these things, like, and what do I do next? And I think that's why purpose for me has been so much more of like a, a driver because it's like, what, what am I trying to do? Like once they ring the bell and stick me in the dirt, what's the thing? Like, oh yeah, Bitten James, he, you know what I mean? And, and someone's going to kind of uh, put those things out into the world. And I think also from a generational perspective, like, you know, there, the other thing I remember from high school, I had a, um, my, I was dating a girl, her mother's best friend, um, you know, we were all hanging out at the, at the house and she, you know, there's this kind of like, um, I, 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 when I was in high school, I felt like there's kind of this, like, you know, parents were in this place where they were like so proud of their kids. They're getting ready to graduate and go into the world. And they have these like moments that they're trying to relish before they go out into the world. And, and, you know, the, the, the lady at the time told me, you know, you got to really cherish this time because this is the best time of your life. And I thought, I just, again, thought how sad that was that this human was on the downside. And, 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 and this is from a generation that had kids younger. So she was probably in her mid forties and she like assumed that like everything was terrible now and it was all good like 20 years previous. And I, I have the exact opposite experience. Like my life has gotten incrementally better from when it started to even going through really hard things with my dad being sick and like thing, you know, struggles with finances in my twenties and like all these other things. Like I, I feel so grateful to be in a place where I kind of, in a way, am really looking forward to the next 10, 15 years of being what I feel like is at peak and being able to execute in a way that I've never had before and understanding so much more about myself and like understanding how, how to really sew into my wife and how to make that relationship more rich. And like, so all these things. And so I think some of it may be generational. Some of it may be kind of mentality of a previous generation where all of these things, great things happen in your youth. And then after that, it's just like kind of sliding downhill. And I don't know, I think because of like, you know, information, advancements in technology, medical science, et cetera, et cetera. We don't necessarily have that view of the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Like it has to be this like slide of like terrible health and no purpose. And you're just kind of living. So your kids have parents. Like we don't, I don't know that we have that mentality. Well, I think you touched on earlier, you know, consumption, you know, media and like how much there is out there to consume, you know, also. Um, and what I look at also is, can we produce more than we consume? You know, ironically, in talking to somebody like yourself, who it's what you do, you produce yeah. out there. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about that a lot and try to do even work with guys. And listen, if you can produce more than you consume, you know, I think you've got a very rich life ahead of you out there because yeah. when you're sitting there consuming you're getting bombarded with all of this information you know all the comparison the joneses the bad news the negativity all we just get bombarded with that and if you get into the habit of consuming that you know it becomes overwhelming it shifts that mindset into again best days are behind us and just yeah. waking up and keep hearing bad shit 
you know, yeah. every day. And yeah. it's going to get worse, you know, and that, and, you know, as opposed to if you can put your head down again with purpose, with character, with conviction and produce, yeah, what can I add to the world versus detract? You know, what can I attract versus, you know, versus repel or reject you know? yeah. and embrace? Then, you know, I think, I think it's a much different mindset of which to operate on. Mm-hmm. And you can see the possibility, the probability, and the positivity, you know, and and success ahead. Yeah, I think it's it's so. I think creatives, and I, and I, I never kind of like know where people's strengths are, but I think creatives have a mentality, and 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 because I've been a creative for so long, I have a mentality that it's like you're never quite satisfied with your last piece and you're always really excited to like, you know, like what, what is my, how do I make my, um, you know, off the wall by Michael Jackson or thriller by Michael Jackson, or how do I do this? And you make a thing and you look at it. And even if people appreciate it in a really amazing way, whether that be commercially or, uh, you know, just a lot of like, you know, public praise for something you do, it's like, you're always still looking to top it in a way. And, you know, I've been able, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to be a part of, you know, the creation process behind some really big, pieces of music and really great albums. And I got a chance to, you know, work on my first television show last summer. And, you know, now we're, you know, billionaires signing new artists and being a part of these processes. And, and I just, in my head know that even when I create something and it does well and people celebrate that, it's like in my head, I just, there's still another, new project out there. There's another new album out there. There's another new piece of content out there, you know? And so I think for me, you know, with that being a key and then the relationships and how rich some of the relationships can be as time goes on. And (laughs) I have this part of my, um, part of my job, I guess is the best description is um, kind of being introduced to talent and then, you know, acquiring this talent, whether that's signing it to a record label or a publishing company or, you know, using it in a brand opportunity, whatever that looks like. And so uh, I, I have a very strange kind of mantra in some of those conversations where I'm saying, you know, like everybody, you know, loves the beginning of the dating process. And then, you know, by, you know, time goes on, you know, someone farts under the covers and shit gets real. And that's, and I, and those are the kind of things that I kind of live for, like some of those moments in the relationship that aren't so easy, that aren't so pie in the sky, you know, uh, dreamy kind of like, oh man, this is kind of why some of those rough spots and, and getting through some of those things, some of those like hard conversations, direct conversations and ways that you also need to kind of look internally and ask yourself what's going on with you. And do you need to self-correct? Those are like the really cool moments for me. And so, um, I always kind of like think through that, uh, especially like, uh, when I'm thinking like at a 30,000 foot view, because like, those are the, those are the uncomfortable moments and some of those as they like build through, those are the kind of things that like makes me feel like, um, I don't know that I'm, I'm living a rich life that I'm, uh, um, executing, executing and making like my, my family proud. Like my, I, sometimes I really think about a lot about like how my dad would feel about all the things that I've been able to comp- accomplish and records and, you know, deals and all this other stuff, you know, it's like, this is not something that he had in his head that I would do, I believe. And so this would be such a impactful thing. I think he would be half confused and the other hundred percent violently proud that this was kind of like my, my, my day-to-day life. It would be pretty cool. The Midlife Mail podcast would not be possible without the support of some incredible brand partners. I only recommend brands I use, believe in, and trust. And each brand was handpicked by me for a specific reason. I believe in these guys, not just because they're great companies with great people behind them, but because the stuff works. I use these to stay at my peak and I suggest you do too. So go over to midlifemail.com and click on special offers for exclusive Midlife Mail discounts and promotions. When did you have it in your head that this, that, 
being in this industry, again, you talk about being a creative, you know, so I'd also like to know how you define a creative and also how you've worked your way and navigated your career into the type of creativity that you apply, you know, that you get the most fulfillment from, that translates into the type of music that you make, the types of artists that you sign, you know, there's a variety of different ways to be creative, but then also how do you put the creative together again with the business, move the needle, and it's a longer question because so much of, of the stuff that you talked about was was just so deep in there. And you talk about wanting to go to the next thing, you know, and always want to talk also about finishing what you start too. Like we got to finish what we started. We got to put it out there. We got to and, oh, for sure. And then move on, you know, to the next thing. We always believe we can make it better, maybe as a creator. But at some point, also, we got to be creative. We got to finish what we start. We got to put it out into the world, and then we got to move on. For and sure. With all these layers and areas of opportunity within creativity, um, you know, and also how you focus within within. You have some so much over opportunity. It could also be paralyzing, you know, at times too. What do we do? Yeah. So I, it's funny because I find like in conversations like this, people talk about their successes and they talk about things they do well. And I was able to accomplish this. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm supposed to be a little bit more um, unhumble about certain accomplishments and things that I've done. But really some of the gold to me is in like the failure. Like, you know, it's taking me a very long time to be okay with saying no to something. Um, and I think it, that's such a strength that I did not have that it took me a while to be okay to say no to someone, to have them, you know, maybe have their feelings hurt or have them really feel like I was doing them a disservice and being okay with that and moving on. And the reason why I say that is because um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time saying yes to anything and everything I could. And I think that that's part of the process when you're younger to get it into opportunities. And, and I mean, I think the other piece for me is I really, I like, I, I relish failure. I'm not afraid of it. Like this, I did something and it didn't work is fine by me. You know what I mean? Like I generally learned something or have a new way of doing it that is like better than the old way. And we move on. I'm not dissuaded or discouraged generally, like if something doesn't work out, I'll get it next time. And, and, and I know it sounds very corny, but it's, you know, for me, it's just a process of uh, getting to the next better place. You know, I think, you know, to, you know, defining creative or whatever, it's like, for me, it's like, I always say that I think that I was born to one of the great American storytellers that no one knows about. Like I remember my father, like sitting at a table and people would ask him to tell a story that he had told to them in the past and gather people around. Like he's going to tell this, he's going to tell the, Oh, he's going to tell the story about, Oh, everybody come. And they sit at the table and he had a cadence and then this and then this and then this and then between, you know, and it's like, and so for me, I feel like whether I was, writing music, producing music, creating music, signing musicians, helping them walk through songs or production or whatever that's looked like. It's always kind of has that anchor, that storytelling anchor. And that to me is like, you know, storytelling, religion, science, politics, that is a part of everything that we do. Anytime it's like your son comes to you. Hey, how did you know mom was the one for you? Well, let me tell you a story, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, which college am I going to go to? Well, let's tell you a story like that. This is no matter how factual and how data driven we are saying, you know, hey, Greg, you know, 25% of the da, 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 and you go off and people glass over. But you tell them about a story about this one time when you were discouraged and this is what happened and this all of the brain tissue starts to connect and this like starts to make sense to them in a real way. And so I think for me, that's been like such a driver, whether it was me as a musician or writing music for other people or producing music for other people, or even like what I do now, it's like, it's kind of what excites me because I think great stories change the world in a way. And I think if there's ever been a time where people really need to relate to certain circumstances going on around them, it's with great stories. And so I find myself to be because of my legacy and because of who my parents kind of raised me to be a person that's full of the kind of stories that help people 
move in a positive direction. And, and so I'm I, really whether, you know, business, cool, music, awesome. But I think in a relational, from a re- relational perspective, that's where I like find the most richness is like being able to like be a part of people's story and tell stories that I feel like are impactful to people and help them move in a positive direction. Does that make sense? It, it does. Do you write yours? Like you talked a little bit about meditation, you know, even before, like, do you journal? Do you write yours? Do you track your stories? You know, how do you process your creativity and documentation, you know, of again, the journey that you're on? Because everything that you've talked about so far, and I feel like we could talk personally for hours without ever really discussing this business or a specific track or certain everything, because it's the human nature of the conversation. You know, you talk yeah. about humanizing all of it and the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it for creates, sure. Creates, you know, all the so richness I, and all the magic. Yeah, hundred percent. So I, um, I got into reading, and so this is this is the impact that Billy has has had on me because I was when I moved to New York about ten years ago, and I met Billy. I was like the way he described it, like I was a human with a lot of raw talent. Like if you our sports guy. I'm a massive sports human. I'm from Philly. I root for all the big sports teams. I've been an Eagles fan since I was little. My dad spent some time with the Eagles. Like I I knew Harold Carmichael and all these guys. And I know this will mean nothing to anyone, but someone who's from Philly, but the long story short is, you know, I was a big sports guy and um, like all of my metaphor comes from sports, all of the reasons that I get excited about sports and all of these other things. And so um, Billy used to say that I was um, one of those kids that walks into the gym and can 360 dunk and has none of the other raw skills. Like I was like super talented and could do this and that and all these other things. And I just didn't know how to like play defense and, you know, set a pick and like all these other things um, that you need to be a complete player. And so, you know, that's kind of when I started because I, 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 you know, Billy for me has become a brother and our relationship has come become like ultra sweet in a way where we can really share some deep stuff. But at the time he was a mentor, like, you know, Billy had accomplished so much in a business that I had wanted to achieve. And so I was really looking to him, for example. And when you talk about, you know, getting up early, like I, I was the ultimate late night guy. I started getting up at 5 a.m. That was terrible at first. Like that really, I was not that human. And now I'm quarter to five every morning. You know, I start with a 10 minute meditation because I'm trying to set my mind in a place where I don't have a lot of imbalance when it comes to emotions. I was taught to, you know, man doesn't make a decision with his emotions. So I'm always trying to like really think practically about information. And then I, you know, I meditate for 10 minutes. I read for 30, I journal for another 10. And then I, do a Spanish lesson and I'm still pretty far behind on Spanish, but we'll get there and I work out and then I'm set. Like, I feel like if I can get that into my day, then the rest of my day goes really well, no matter how busy or how crappy or amazing it is. Like that usually sets me in a place where I can get the rest of the stuff done and be the person I need to be to the humans that I spend time with and get stuff done at work and all of these other things. And so, yes, the, you know, the short answer is yes, I journal. I try to really, I kind of break it up in three sections. It's like healthy, wealthy, wise. Like I just write my thoughts on those three things in the day. And then I try to identify the big three things that I need to accomplish. And then I just get into it. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Journaling for me is like, it's just a way to just kind of for lack of a better term, throw up on paper. Like sometimes I have like one sentence for wise, like do this, don't do that. You know, sometimes I like have a, I have a longer thought, whatever it is, I'm just trying to make some of what's going on in my brain tangible in a way. So I feel like I'm not constantly coming back to it later while I'm trying to accomplish something. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Do you revisit it? Do you share it or- one and done, like, hey, write it, feel it, get over it, and move on. So I've just started to kind of revisit it from time to time. Um, you know, I think part of it is like like there is a, a conversation like this happens, and 
you know, if I am a third party that listens to this conversation and I think for a second, like, hmm, Benton James has it like going on and he does this or, you know, whatever the assumptions are about how successful someone is or is not, you know, the one thing that is a constant reminder through some of those journal entries and stuff is some of the failures that I just not have not been able to figure out. And I think it's often in a conversation like this, not very popular to go. Yeah. Well, yeah, I still haven't figured this out. i still have this issue or I still come back to this thing. You know, it's like, it was kind of eye opening. There's someone that I kind of admire and I follow through reading and he had like put out an article about just how badly he can procrastinate. And you think this, this human being, you know, is worth millions of dollars. They get up, they have these amazing conversations, TV show and all this stuff. And this human being still has problems with procrastination. Like, and sometimes you can get so into some of these conversations and so into the motivating piece of like how people talk. And like, you know, I found myself sitting there just wondering, like, you know, some people get, you know, I'm, I'm, I have this hashtag, I have the hustle is real and I put this everywhere. And, and, you know, all that stuff sounds good, but there are times when for me, hustling is really sitting somewhere thinking about what I'm trying to accomplish and turning off my tech. So I'm not interrupted. Like, and that could seem very like not hustle. You know what I mean? Like there are times when I know I'm just burnt and I need to go stand in the sun with my feet in the grass and play chess. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I think, you know, because of the way things are outwardly are perceived and, you know, Instagram or whatever, trying to make sure people identify me as whatever I'm hoping they think I accomplish. You know, the reality for a lot of people is just different. And I think people have got to, it's okay to be in touch with the fact that, yes, you know, so-and-so is a billionaire and achieves this and built these companies and -and so-and-so's got some weaknesses and that's not the thing that they put on the podcast. You know what I mean? Like, I I think it's so true. I think, you know, the the tendency is to showcase the highlights, Mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. To to showcase the highlights and the haves, not the have-nots, you know? Uh, you know, what I've found is the more vulnerable, the more transparent, the more real and raw I am, the better the connection. Yeah. The deep, the deeper the connection. And almost if you're looking at it as a, a quid pro quo in a way, it's like, look, we started here for every shirtless fitness picture mm-hmm. that may go up, there needs to be two or three. Let me tell you what I'm really struggling with. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let me talk to you about how hard it is to do this episode, you know, today after two other calls and this family member in rehab and this one struggling to do this and that the yeah. stuff that you don't see that's going on behind it. Or even you look at the results. As you said, you look at the album, you look at the song, you look at the plane, you look at the at the muscle. You know? But what you don't see is the 30 years. Yeah. Of preparation, consistency, and accountability. 100%. That led to the body of work that you only, you're only seeing today. You yeah. Know, that's, that's there. And I just think it's so important. And what is coming out, and it's just a testament you know, to you as well, you know, the men that come on this show because and the confidence and security of the success and character and purpose of, of who you are and who they are, share and wear those failures. They own them. You know, with a degree of confidence and security, which is so helpful to the guys out there listening that maybe have not gotten there just yet. Yeah. Or are able to get comfortable with that level of discomfort to share the failures more than highlight the successes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny because the one thing that I discovered through a bunch of reading um, was to be able to authentically ask the question. And answer, excuse me, answer the question of what you want, right? Like, and someone, so someone says it out loud, say, what do you want? I think so many people are pre-programmed, you know, I want millions of dollars. I want this and this. What they really want is ease of life. And like, you know what I mean? Like what you really want, it's like, what did, what did I want? I wanted to feel like when I woke up in the morning, I wanted to wake up and do something. 
That's mm-hmm. where I, I want to know that what I want, what I'm doing with my day, I'm really excited about. I have that. I wanted to know that the human being that I was partnered with in life focused on my happiness as much as I focus on theirs. Do you know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. that attenuated my dating relationship and it attenuates how I approach a day. Uh, you know, I, w- I want to work. I remember I prayed that I would work with people who wanted to be, to win as badly as I do. And it's like, Billy, I mean, Billy, that dude is, he wants to win all the time and he's done so much winning and people are like, why do you still, are you still at it? But that's who bro is like, bro is trying to win whatever he's doing. And as soon as he makes up his mind that that's what he's doing, it's like locks off the cage, cuffs off the hands, like we go, you know, and that's, that's been super fulfilling for me. And even when I'm discouraged, he's up. If he's discouraged, I'm up. And it's like, we go. And that's, and, and, and I couldn't ask, you know, I do not have, you know, tens of millions of dollars yet. Yet. I don't have, you know, any kids yet, but all those things are things that I don't know. I just, my days are full and I'm grateful. So whatever happens with it all, I just feel content. Like I just don't know what else to say. It's like, I don't, I don't, you know, what I, what I wanted wasn't millions of dollars. What I wanted was purpose. And I have that. And I, what I want is to be a part of successful projects that have the ability to pass through time and outlive me. And I'm involved in those, you know what I mean? And like, and so like, as long as I know what I want from core, I feel like I'm headed in the right direction. And and the rest ultimately falls into place for all of the reasons that, that, that you're describing there. Um, You, you let us hear perfectly uh, collaborations and partnerships. Mm -hmm. So I am a sports human. I played basketball. You cannot tell from the video, but I'm six foot seven. And that was my thing. I played basketball and I say it all the time. And Billy and I both had this mentality. It's like, if I'm the center, and this is an old way of looking at basketball, so whatever, but if I'm the center and my game is three to five feet from the rim, rebound, toughness, and your game is to bring the ball up and distribute and communicate. I shouldn't be the one bringing the ball up and you shouldn't be, if you're five, six, you shouldn't be the one standing next to the rim trying to get it over the trees down low. And so I always have this mentality. Like I don't, I am not the same human without my father and my mother. I am not the same human. I am not as successful without my wife. I am not as successful. I don't have the same drive and I don't have the same partnerships without Billy. And so for me, there is, I don't know, my identity is completely built into who is around me and how they blend, they bleed into what I'm trying to accomplish in any given time. And I've, I've, I'm fortunate to have had great friends in my life and great people around me to help me continue to get somewhere. But I do not know who I am without the collaborative process because I, I, I only think in in nature of teams. I only think in nature of who is around me, you know, who's coming off the bench. You know, like like I only think like all of those folks are important uh, coaches. Like, you know, I, I just I can't I don't know who I am without the p- kind of partnerships and collaborations that bring you to a, a place of strength like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Icons and giants. I want I want to talk about this. It took us 54 minutes almost. To <laughs> I, I talk too much, so you yeah, have to but, forgive And me. I say that as a compliment because I am a genuine believer also back to your point of humanizing things, that when you get to know the person, you know, who's Benton James, you know, 6'7", 42, Philly, sports fan, married, no kids yet, you know, how he feels about collaborations, partnerships, coming up, life, you know, successes, failures, where we're going, you know, with this. Now, all of a sudden you go, okay, that's a guy I want to know more about. That's somebody I want to know what he's doing, where he's going. The food tastes better when you know who cooks it, you know, like the music sounds better when I think you know who's behind it, when you can humanize all of these things. And here we are now, okay, right? 
you know, at this, you know, okay, a lot of insight into who you are as a, as a man, as a person, as a creator. And thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, for sure. Icons and giants. One fantastic name. Where, 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 where the name came from. So and I'll give credit to. Mm-hmm. I'll give credit to where credit is due. So we, Billy and I batted around a bunch of ideas. He had the idea of icons and giants. And instead of and, he had the plus sign in between it. I love rhythmically the way it looked. And I love the idea. I mean, when you, you starting a record label in the year 2022 is like starting a new ketchup company. It's like, why would you even need to do that unless you're going to do something purposeful, right? And so, you know, Billy is another one of the great American storytellers. Like he has written some of the best songs in the history of songwriting. And you, you, those songs are only written from a narrative perspective. Like how does it, how does it speak to so many people in general that they find like a closeness to it? But how do you pull something from your own personal life when you do it in a way that feels uh, like you're still able to observe and appreciate, right? And so Icons and Giants for us was the ability to tell mega stories through music that needed to be told that weren't being told. Uh, For instance, you know, MNCR is... Uh, a, a young female, 22 years old from the UK, who's of Muslim descent. Um, her family is Moroccan. She came from Italy to UK um, to escape a bit of persecution uh, around her religion um, and wanted to be a pop singer. And that is not a normal story. That's not a, you know, American, you know, looks a certain way, certain background, ease, you know, like Amin is a, Amin is a, I call her like, you know, she is my Mike Tyson. She is going to look a brick wall up and down and dare it to get in her way. And that has been so exciting to be a part of. Um, And that's a story that's being told now in six different languages because she speaks all those languages and she writes songs in all those languages and releases songs. And so like that is the richness of being able to release a story like that to the world in different languages that people can understand. That's really exciting for Billy and I. You know, we our first signing was uh, a black neoclassical pianist from Detroit. Why would a record label in 2022 dominated on the charts by hip hop, why would two men with a history in the business sign a neoclassical pianist from Detroit? Why? Because he had something to say. And in a, in a, in a, in a culture of something new, something new, 60,000, sorry, 20,000 new songs every day, 60,000 new songs uploaded to DSP a week. Why, why, why piano music? Because songs like you know, Michelle's first day in the White House needed to be expressed in this way. Songs like George Floyd and the Struggle for Equality needed to be expressed in this way at this time. And that story was larger than just fingers to a piano. Does this make sense? Mm, it and it so, does. And I've had so a Icons and Giants is, is a necessity, I think, to the planet. And it's a pleasure to build it next to Billy, uh, someone who's just has a track record in a place like this. Watching watching him and being a part of it is is special. It's. I've had an ch- opportunity to check out some of the artists that you were just talking about, and it's captivating. Like it, it's it's really it's captivating in the diversity. It's captivating in the creativity. Again, it's what you're not seeing and hearing, or what you're not used to seeing and hearing, but you will be clearly because you guys are winners and committed to it. And it's gonna and and we know that this is now going to going to really happen. And I believe I read this uh somewhere and, and if I if I don't get it exactly accurate, maybe you'll you'll correct me, but it was something to the effect that in this age, you know, as everyone's chasing digital and all these other mediums, you know, so we're gonna focus on the music, you know, and the artists and the storytellers. You know, there. A hundred percent. And and you know, so and man, I almost, you know, obviously this podcast is very centered around um, midlife male. So men's not going to fit that uh, uh, category whatsoever, but I think black box might. And, and, and when you're talking about stories to tell and perspectives and what I think is missing from culture. And I mean, I, I always say this and people argue with me, it is what it is, but today is the greatest day in existence. Like, and people will talk about cultural differences or where we are politically or pandemics or whatever. And I will 
continue to say this is the best day in the history of time where we've progressed as humans and do we have places to go? Yes. But the fact that uh, African-American male and a Jewish American male can create a record company that signs a, a Muslim woman of British um, uh, British country origin who is being co-produced and co-written with uh, a gay male from Italy. Like this is, this is, this is unheard of, you know what I mean? In time. And like, this is a special time to be able to do something like that. And, and so for me, it's like Icons and Giants is as big as, if not bigger than all the sum of its parts. And we've been able to put together some really special parts with the label. And that's why it's very exciting um, for this to be out in the world now. And I'm, 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 if you were uh, appreciative of some of the art that we've been able to produce so far, I'm very thankful for that, but I'm excited for you to be able to see what we do next with some of these artists, because they're really special. They work really hard and they have something to say. And that to me is like all that I need to be a part of something really. It, it's, it's so amazing. And it is, you know, when I was listening to, to amends, I pulled her up on Instagram and, and I'm listening to it and I turned I'm, I'm, I'm to my wife and I'm like, you got it. You got to hear this, you know, like, yeah. like, yeah. You, like you got to hear this. And then the language shifts and the voice and the whole thing. I'm like, you got to hear this. And then you dig in deeper. And I, again, I said, I've got a 15 year old and an 18 year old, 18 year olds actually in Israel right now. So I sent him some stuff. He's That's in awesome. quarantine in a room with, COVID, oh, you know, so he's oh, wow. missing oh, some of his trip. Take a listen to this and check out Black Box. But and even Killy Idol, I was looking, I was listening to stuff. I'm like, and I got my guitars hanging. I'm like, this is really amazing stuff. Yeah. But what really also lands again, you know, is, is you know, we get, we're going to say it over again: the authenticity and the artistry, you know, of what is being put out there. And you say it doesn't appeal, maybe you know, if you use a mentor midlife male, mm-hmm. I would argue against that. Going, I listen to it, going, whoa. Like, honey, you got to hear this. Okay. Like any age or at any stage, when you hear something or see something that just lands, like there's just talent, there's just a voice. Somebody's got something to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, you grab it. Cause again, there's so much, there's so much stuff out there, you know, that misses. And part of me thinks in like an age of progression where, you know, as you start to use identifiers, you know, Black male, Hispanic female, whatever the things are, I think because some of those stories haven't been told um, in mass previously, people use those as qualifiers for stories to tell. And I think the most exciting thing for Billy and I has been that the qualifier for us has started with the music. And then you kind of learn these other things, right? You don't know Black Bach is African-American male from Detroit. You hear talent in his piano, you see the title of one of his pieces, you dig deeper and you find these things out. You hear a man sing and then you hear a man sing in Italian and then you hear a man sing in Arabic and then you see her duet with David Guetta and you want to know more. And then you find out she is this young woman in the UK, Muslim descent, all these other things. Like it starts, it starts with the talent and that is what makes it um, rich to me. Like the, the fact that it is, excellent because it is excellent. And those other things aren't the identifiers that make it excellent. Those are the things that just, that are part of its story as you identify its excellence in the art. Does that make sense? And it starts with an excellent conversation with Benton James, (laughs) co-founder, Icons and Giants, that makes you want to listen, that makes you want to learn more, that makes you want to find these artists and see what you guys are all about. Um, and I just really appreciate your time. I'm, I'm grateful for it. It's been great to get to know you and to no, share this experience. Too. And Billy too, says, Greg. have somebody on and talk to my partner, Benton, and talk to my brother. I'm like, yes, sir, exactly when. How quickly can yeah. you do it? So- <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. And I, I was really honored that you uh, asked me on. And, and I hope this is uh, something that kind of lives in your catalog as, as something special as, as it was for me. It's a pleasure and a privilege. I look forward to having you back so we can follow up on all these stories you know, and where everything yeah. is. Um, how do people find you also? Uh, so, I mean, obviously on social media, me personally, I'm generally um, handled at Mr. Benton J. M. R. Benton 
in the letter J. Um, you can also go to iconsandgiants.com um, um, or uh, proof.global. That's prf.global for all of the agency things that Billy and I um, work on and accomplish in, in different spaces with management and you know um, creative agencies and all all of those other things. But that's those are the those are the uh, tent poles to head to if people want to know more. Awesome. And artists that we should be on the lookout for in particular, anything right now? You, you mentioned a couple. Anyone we should be making sure that we're that we're out there listening and following? Um, I, I'm, I mean, obviously, I believe in a man. Obviously, I leave, believe in Black Bok. And Black Bok is B-L-K-B-O-K for folks that want to check that out. And then, you know, there's an entrepreneur producer that I think if you were to ever get someone else on this show, would be a guy named Cato on the track. So Cato... Um, Korean American out of Atlanta. I call him a lunch pail kid. He is the he is the pillar of consistency and really over the course of ten years built a production business that's a business in a world where clout um, is currency. Cato went and built a real business, and so I've been blessed to work with him. Billy and I have both have, and he's getting ready to do some really special things. But all the biggest brands in the world are calling on him to be a part of social media strategies and and, and talk about the music business and all kinds of things. And I think that he's a story that people um, will start to understand here really soon in a larger way. Well, thank you so much, Benton James, Midlife Mail Podcast. From Houston, from North Carolina, sitting here facing each other. Thank you so much for your time. No, I thank really you. appreciate it. Guys, if you like what you have heard on the show, and I know you did, please give us the five-star rating. Leave us the positive review. Go follow Benton, everything that Icons and Giants and their artists are up to. And until next week, I am out of here. Thank you so much. Take care. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midlifemail.com and check out the Work With Me page to explore options.